We have to go back! Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And with Candyman, the inspirational or a spiritual successor to the original Candyman series, making its Jordan Peele uh, produce executive producer feel. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know what about what. Let's land this plane, shall we? With Candyman, uh, just knocking on the theater doors because uh, Halloween uh, and making oh. its way into theaters. I was like, does he do that? I don't know. I don't, I don't <laughs> he know. He doesn't. It's a mirror thing. I don't know why I decided to go with doors. Shattering uh, records. We decided to... <laughs> Off to a great start. <laughs> we decided to reflect back, and now I brought it back to mirrors talking about on Bees? the 2005... <laughs> we decided to reflect back on the 2005 movie that is also an adaptation of the book of the same name, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. Yes. Yeah, because that's what the book was. It's what the play is. It wasn't until the Gene Wilder one that it was Wonka, Willy Wonka. So, yeah. Yeah. We're bringing it back. Bringing it back. So, yeah, we've already done a Willy Wonka review if you're listening to this and you've listened for the last six or seven years and you're like, wait a minute. I, <laughs> are they just repeating episodes now? Uh, no, you would think, but no, it, this is a totally different movie, which is really bumming me out and consistently bums me out that this now qualifies for the podcast. Cause they have to be at least yeah. 10 years. And this is, yeah, we're crossing our camp. own release timeline. Yeah. Where you just look at Freddie Highmore and you're like, he plays a doctor now. And then you look at your hands and you're like, wait a minute. I'm so <laughs> aged. Yes. Yeah. And so if you listen to our review of Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, it's kind of becoming a recurring joke about uh, Roald Dahl uh, and Roald Dahl hating bodies of work that are adapted into the film uh and so we'll start our kind of journey to the 2005 movie from that point so remember when willy wonka and chocolate factory came out in 1971 and roald Dahl hated it actively protested the movie uh so uh, later, uh, Brillstein Gray Entertainment entered discussions with the Doll Estate in 1991, hoping to purchase the rights to produce another film version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, it was finalized in 1998 with Doll's widow Felicity, Lissy, and daughter Lucy, um, with them having total artistic control. Whoa. Total artistic control uh, and final privilege on the choice of actors, directors, and writers. And so uh, it, that's why it took so long for them to create it. Like for most of the 90s, uh, they were trying to get licensing and all the other um, uh, legal things that you need to do to secure movie rights for product placement and also just uh, protection of the source material. So when they decided to make that movie. There were several people who were up for the role of Mr. Wonka. And I'm just, th- there's a big list, okay? I mean, you know, Bill Murray, Brad Pitt, Michael Keaton, Will Smith, Adam Sandler. It's a big list. But the, the, the two names that showed up that just tickled me to no end was Nicolas Cage. 
Oh, wow. He turned down the offer because of national treasure scheduling conflicts, which... That's a good move. But then here's here's the other thing. And this is the thing that I mm-hmm. I had a literal laughing fit. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was Tim Burton's really? second choice for Willy Wonka before Johnny can you imagine a world where every Johnny Depp, Tim Burton team up was actually Tim Burton and Dwayne The Rock Johnson? That changes everything. It Oh, man. Like, there is an, oh. an animation budget big enough for Marvel to tackle that what-if story. But it's, Yeah, just go back. Oh, I mean, boy. I got your title for the first one. It's called Rock Beat Scissors. <laughs> oh, man. And so... Um, and so Tim Burton, you know, he brought he he brought his posse, Danny Elfman, um, and Helen uh, Bonham and, Carter, and also yeah. Helena Bonham Carter, Johnny Depp, and Johnny Depp uh, actually played a role in having Freddie Highmore's uh, role happening in here because uh, he was so pleased with Freddie Highmore's work in Finding Neverland that mm. he asked Burton to let him do a screen test, and of course he nailed it, uh, and. They, I, ugh, Deep Roy, yeah. my goodness, <laughs> who we've seen on the podcast with uh, Never Ending Story, playing the role of every single Oompa Loompa. I, that we'll, we'll get into that later, but my goodness. So you have the cast assembled, and then they make this amazing movie. Uh, and, and Tim Burton actually had a very strong um, desire to not use many digital effects surprisingly especially given what he would go on to create in the future largely so that the 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 kids and the younger actors would feel like they are working in a realistic environment uh and so there's a lot of use of forced perspective techniques scale models um just to avoid computer generated imagery whenever possible i mean there's still a ton of it in this movie but whenever whenever possible and you just have a room full of squirrels, which, by the way, <laughs> they trained a lot of squirrels for that scene. Like, those are actually trained squirrels. Really? I just assumed yes. CGI. Oh, wow. Animal trainers trained 40 real squirrels for it. And it took 19 weeks of work training each squirrel individually. But they pulled it off for 10 minutes of screen time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really why you get into <sighs> filmmaking, isn't it? to yeah train a bunch of squirrels yeah and have and have the follow through so with a budget especially i mean this is this is peanuts especially with all the squirrels with a budget of 150 million dollars this movie went on to make over 475 million dollars in the box office wow that is a lot of candy and bars oscar nominated this yeah. is an Oscar-nominated film for the costume design, which, yeah, mm-hmm. rightfully so. But it's uh, 100%. a Golden Globe nominee, too, for Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture, Comedy, or Musical for Johnny Depp. So this got critical acclaim. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a huge movie. And I also remember they, of course, uh, it had, it. I should say, this movie also transcended beyond media it transcended into culture grace and those big old bug eye goggles oh man hot topics everywhere across the land were filled with those big old uh a sunglass goggle combination things 
And uh, I remember several people, myself included, bought them a pair. It was just like, yeah, that's that's for me. Uh, and they also did another relaunch of all of the all of the Wonka products because mm. the thing about Willy Wonka and the book is that the the Nestle Corporation like had the Willy Wonka company be like an actual branch uh, of products that were offered. And there are actual Willy Wonka candies that were Wonka related, uh, that including Fun Dip, we're talking Pixie Sticks, we're talking Sweet Tart Ropes, Bottle Caps, Laffy Taffy, uh, the, of course, the Wonka Bar, Nerds, Spree, and of course, the Everlasting Gobstopper, just to name a few. Um, and it, I just remember when that movie was released, it was, it was a good time to have a sweet tooth. Mm. Yeah. And like you said, the, the cultural impact on this, I felt like everyone was aware that this movie was back. It kind of felt like Wonka coming back, you know, that it yeah. had been so long since the property. I, I know the year it came out was the year that my school put on the stage play version of it because the play is also oh, yeah. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where it's got... You know, mm-hmm. the, the dads in it and more stuff from the grandparents. Uh, so, yeah, it was uh, pervasive. Yeah. Yeah. And and honestly, I distinctly remember not liking this iteration as a kid. Uh, I remember watching. I'm like, what nonsense is this? Tim Burton, you've gone, you've gone too far. And that was my uh, original, you know, uh, feel of the movie. But I guess. I mean, we were about to graduate high school when it came out. So that might have been some of it yeah or we're like we're adults <laughs> yeah i mean but like i i have to say like this movie this movie holds up way better than i was expecting it to uh, yeah i liked it way more now than when i first saw it in theaters i don't know what it is but i'm like hey why 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 did i have those thoughts and feelings i think it really just hit us at the wrong time but it was a delight to rewatch it. It really was. And I also, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, I think it was also one of those things where um, we were, I was in a pre-hipster stage. So I'm just like, oh, everyone likes this, this movie. And because it was popular, I was just like, ah, nah, nah. That's not the, what, what you want, what you need is the deep cuts. You need the Gene Wilder. You need the Snodsberry states like small. This is too much. But like, that was, that's how I'm <laughs> assuming I was judging it. Uh, and also just like, yeah, Tim Burton, he just does weird stuff just to be weird. And I, uh, I, I didn't give it his credit. So I, this, this is me on the podcast saying, Mr. Burton, I'm sorry. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, yeah. uh, really admire your work. I like this take on Willy Wonka because I rock beat scissors. <laughs> One of the things I do remember not liking that I actually, that it didn't, uh, bother me, I guess this time around were the flashbacks. Uh, because we we get a yeah. lot of Wonka origin story, like an entire like story arc of like, how did Willy Wonka become the factory owner? Uh, and at first yeah. I was like, and you know we love we love a DGB on here, dark gritty backstory. Love it. It's just mm, chef's kiss. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and they and they did, and I just really appreciated like the overall um, messaging of the story of like, oh, this is a sweet little family film. Uh, and how uh, and and you, you kind of get those themes tied together more because it's not just so much about oh these kids they just get taken away but these are all different familial relationships that get broken up because 
each one of the kids has kind of like a not so great relationship with their authority figure. And so mm. uh, you really do see that Charlie has a really great relationship with his uh, grandfather and his family. And uh, and you got to see it, that whole family dynamic work well together. I just thought it was really sweet. And it was a nice, oh, really sweet. Uh, I thought it was a really sweet movie. <laughs> and uh, I really just had a blast with it. Yeah, the depth of Grandpa George, especially, who I don't think has a line oh, yeah. in, in the first movie. Uh, in this one, he has an arc of being incredibly cynical and then recognizing how damaging that is to, to Charlie developing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just so much more depth around that, that I, yeah, that was lost on me the first time I, I saw it. And mm-hmm. yeah, those, the, the background to Willy Wonka is really interesting. Funny visual gags too. Like you think he's traveling the world and he's just walk, walking through the hall of flags, like <laughs> that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, it's still fun. Which offsets more of the the grim, uh, you know, dark mm-hmm. aspects, the darker aspects that they added in here. But what I really respect from Burton's choices was, yeah, you know, it makes sense knowing now that the family and the estate had more creative control over um, how it was re-represented, uh, but that they kept a lot of the original text and the Oompa Loompa songs, like the the lyrics were yes. the original lyrics. And then Danny Elfman worked his absolute magic and created, I remember that being like the main thing I really liked about this movie originally was like, man, the Oompa Loompa songs were great. And how do you, how do you yeah. break out of something that is so already cemented, like the original Oompa Loompa song and, and just make these new tracks. Uh, well, he drew from, the the actual source material not the movie the the book so um yeah i I just really respected that yeah and danny alfman also was the performing voice for all the oompa loompa songs so this this was like danny alfman's time to shine uh more more vocally i should say uh and uh and, and something else i really really loved about this movie uh was the uh, just the aesthetic. I remember, like, I didn't like the aesthetic the first time I watched it, and I really did because, like, they are doing like Adam's Family esque, just like color isolation. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just noticing, like, uh, uh, Johnny Depp's like Willy Wonka is just muted color every single scene, and everyone else is super bright. Um, and then his reaction to all the kids. One of my all time <laughs> favorite lines. Uh, Everything in this room is eatable. Even I'm eatable. But that is called cannibalism, my dear children, and is in fact frowned upon in most societies. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. No, I did not appreciate this movie when I was a kid. Uh, It it is a bigger feel, too, because, right, the original is so much just Charlie in his world. Mm -hmm. Like, we have several scenes where we go to school with Charlie in the original one. Right. And now... It, it's just about the global impact of this chocolate factory. And yeah, it, it feels big. There's a lot to look at visually. Uh, Ricky, I would dare say it's even um, <clears throat> got a lot of eye candy. <laughs> Cross it off the notes. Yep, there it is. There it yep, is. I said it. I thought it. I wrote it down. I said perfect, it. Perfect. Perfect. We recorded it. Yeah. 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 And it, and it, it, I think it did a good job. Uh, Gene Wilder um, gave credit to uh, 
Johnny Depp's performance. Though he didn't like this iteration, he did give props to uh, Johnny Depp and his uh, iteration of Willy Wonka. And I thought that they did such a solid job of making this person um, almost like, oof, I might have to save some of this for uh, Recast Remake, but like almost this Steve Jobs esque, like young genius, like startup for, for chocolate. Uh, and I just, I, I liked his characterization of Willy Wonka. Like it, it was not Gene Wilder's, which I, I did appreciate. It was uniquely yeah. Johnny Depp's and he gave just such a real absurdity to the character that I, I really did love. Well, like when he shows up and he's cheering on the flaming <laughs> welcome dolls, like what, what a tone set for that character. Yeah, I, like, oh, that was amazing. That's spectacular. Wait, aren't you supposed to be up there? It's like, well, I couldn't very well see the show from up there. Now, could I? I'm just like, okay. Yeah, we are off. <sighs> was there anything else that you noticed this time around that you didn't notice before, Grayson? Yeah, the family connection was a big one. Because uh, I think when you think about how the the story is broken up, there are no, um, there's no cheer up Charlies in this, right? Like it, it moves pretty quickly. The contest is set up almost immediately. And I think you get to the chocolate factory like 30 minutes yep. in. It's, it's pretty quick. I didn't, I didn't clock the time code, but it was, it was pretty soon where you're like, oh, great. We're not going to linger as much on Charlie. And, uh, I have. Well, I'll go into certain reasons why I think that is later on, but it is it is certainly a faster paced movie, um, which I think I was so wrapped up in the aesthetic and the performance, uh, especially of Johnny Depp as Willy Wonka, that from a, a story structure side, it's it's really easy to lose just how much they re-engineered uh, not copying the original movie and and looking at the the book and being like, this is okay. What did Roald Dahl intend to happen mm-hmm. and how do we merge that with the vision of the director? Because um, ultimately it comes down to Tim Burton's vision of this. Right. Um, like the source material, whoever owns it and represents it can be upset all they want. Every film ultimately comes down to the director's choices if it's working according to plan. So um, I, I thought that that collaboration there was something to really be celebrated, especially looking at it through the, the lens of you know, a post Snyder cut world where it's, yeah. it's like, I mean, yeah. you have to trust your directors and it felt like they really did. Like they took a precious property mm-hmm. and they said, Burtonify it. And, uh, and he did. And I, I really loved it. And I love Tim Burton stuff. Um, like I always have, which I think is why, like, even as a senior in high school, I was like, I'm going to check this out. And, uh, I I admire not just rehashing what was already there. So when I when I'm looking back through it and have you know, all all these years in between, I I really do uh, feel like I was seeing it for the first time because um, I don't think I've rewatched it since theaters. Yeah, yeah, I've seen clips of it. Uh, it used to play on um, on Freeform all the time uh, before uh, mm. Warner Brothers uh, said Mindsies. Uh, but it was uh, it was a classic. It, it came on constantly. I remember seeing little vignettes of it. Uh, but yeah, the family piece is very strong, and I uh, and especially knowing that the how heavily involved the uh, the Roald Dahl estate was in creative direction in giving uh, approval for things like 
the things that they wanted to do and show uh, really helped me to appreciate this movie more of like, okay, great. This wasn't just someone inserting um, their own agenda into the Willy Wonka story, but really bringing this story to life with a different lens. So I, I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. When well, reboots always try to answer some questions that came up from the original, right, to cover it. And, and what I appreciated about this one is the ending, the difference in the ending, where it answers the question, what about his family? Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of always assume, okay, they're going to move in with him, but you never see that in the original, and it's kind of left. He's just flying over the city, being like, see you later, town, and <laughs> flies up into the clouds. And this one, you actually see what life is like for the buckets yeah. uh, you know, afterwards. And I, I liked seeing that extension um so yeah i it felt in a lot of ways much more fantastical but also grounded at the same time um and that's difficult to do both of those uh so yeah just very very heartfelt yeah now grayson um i'm a big candy person uh Mm. uh like no fun size for you. This got to be huge candy. No, I mean I am a human candy bar. I'm a big candy oh. person. I felt like this was the time to tell you that. Um, oh, okay. And a lot of the things that I think about come out straight out of my head cannon. Head cannon. <laughs> head cannon is the part of the show where we like to share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Uh, just a, a, a little teaser. Uh, I spent all of my human, not candy bar brain, mm. all on um, recast remake. So this is going to be uh, just like um, a, uh, I, I'd say, a, a nerd's candy bar. Uh, very, very, not candy bar, a box. Tiny. And not make a lot of sense. So my uh, main piece of head cannon, uh, it was it was when um, the grandpa fell asleep. I was like, wait a second, are we supposed to believe that this entire thing is a dream? Because I thought that that was what they were going with. Uh, but then that was originally going to be my head cannon. But then he, mm. they, they never addressed it. That's why he can walk. And yeah, no, that's good. I like that. Uh, but after that, I think my biggest piece of head cannon. Uh, has largely to do with um, the timing of this. Uh, I know they talk about my TV uh, and they talk about like first person shooters and video game wise. I think people think that it's a modern two th- uh, year 2000 era um, story, but I actually think it is a post apocalyptic future. Oh, full on full adventure, on time. adventure yeah. time with like the candy wars. And so like basically, I mean, you mentioned adventure time. <laughs> this is just like I want to say post adventure time, like right after adventure time, uh, you know, humans start showing up more. And and then we have we have Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. I mean, that would explain the evolution of the chocolate birds. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It all just makes sense there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's science, I don't, <laughs> I don't to tell you. Uh, no, I like that. That's good. That's good. So I was trying to remember back to the headcanon uh, when we did Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, and I'm pretty sure, having done no actual due diligence to look into, mm-hmm. just pull up the file and listen, I'm pretty sure what our headcanon was, uh, was that they mapped to the seven deadly sins, because we did that a lot at that period of... Oh yeah, recording the podcast. Um, 
That sounds like us. Yeah, right. It sounds like us. I'm pretty sure that's what we did. It was it was like gluttony and 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 all that. And the rest. So um <laughs> when I was thinking about that, I was like, oh, interesting. I have a completely different feeling now about what each of these children represent. Um, because I think to make up the other two, it was like Grandpa Joe and Willy Wonka. We threw them in there for seven. But I think when you keep it five, my head canon is that each of the five candidates represents a different stage of grief. And mm. they represent Wonka processing his own grief. Um, and wow. they they go in order of the order that they um like through the five stages of grief, they progress in order based on not when they're eliminated, but when they get their tickets in the order in which they find mm. the tickets. So the very first one uh, then would be Augustus, and he's denial um, because he's clearly in denial that he is slowly killing himself. His parents are in denial about it, um, and he's he's just in a really bad, unhealthy situation and does nothing to, to curb away from that. Secondly is anger, and that's Veruca is the second one to find mm-hmm. the ticket. She's always angry because she believes that she deserves more. Even when she gets exactly what she wants, like the golden ticket, she just wants a pony right after that. Um, and then you have bargaining, which is really interesting because I was like, oh, man, does that fit? Am I really reaching for this? But in the interpretation of this Violet, she is, uh, you know, she's got the, the martial arts trophies. She's, uh, again, the, the chewing gum champion of the world and all that. Her whole thing is about about winning. So, you know, bargaining process is about, is about playing the other side so you can reach a perceptively victorious outcome. So that's the winning aspect of it. And so her entire mm. identity and drive is about winning or creating circumstances where she comes out ahead, i.e. bargaining. So that was that was Violet. And then Mike TV is interesting because in this, he's very angry and kind of always has been in Violet, but you, you definitely see depressive qualities so i think mike represents the depression phase of grief and uh, he shows disinterest in things that typically delights others like he doesn't even like chocolate uh and he dissociates by losing himself in these video games tv he's just glued to the screen Um, and it's created these fractured relationships with his parents um so a lot of a lot of signs there and then finally charlie I love this version and depiction of Charlie because he does, I think even before he gets to the chocolate factory, he represents acceptance uh, all day. So Charlie, he accepts his circumstances in this version. He's not really, uh, you know, fighting against it as much as you feel like Charlie is in in the Gene Wilder version. Um, Mm -hmm. He's just happy to be with family. He you know, does what he can. He wants to share his chocolate and all that kind of stuff. He just accepts it, right? Um, he's not complacent. He just is at peace with, you know, what he has. And that he has everything he needs perceptively. So um, he starts out that way, but it, it's interesting because he would have been happy had he never found the ticket. I, I honestly believe that, that mm-hmm. this Charlie would have lived a happy life um, with his family. Um and I mean, that's why we don't need to cheer up Charlie because he's he's totally mm. well adjusted the entire time. So when you know, Wonka accepts Charlie and Charlie accepts the offer, that completes Wonka's Wonka's healing process, and he gets through the fifth stage of grief. Uh, and so that's the complete story and how 
how these candidates were then able to facilitate the healing process. So if Charlie isn't the one that's really, you know, trying to win from this or whatever, uh, then you realize, oh, well, then what was at stake? Oh, it's about Wonka, which is really interesting that the original is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and this is Charlie Mm -hmm. and the Chocolate Factory. It it almost makes more sense to swap the names based on how Mm. they focus on these characters. Yeah. Um, Especially since... when they're touring through the chocolate factory, uh, it's really telling uh, about you know who's going to win and all that. And we know going into it who's going to win this. But if you look at the comments that are made while they're on the move, all the other candidates and their parents are asking questions for the purpose of benefiting them. Like they want to know. Mm-hmm. Every time Charlie asks a question, it's about learning more about Wonka. And it's this outward-focused mentality that that Charlie carries with him. I want to know more about the world. I'm very interested in you and and who you are. And so that lack of self-centeredness, that that acceptance of the world and not trying to change the world but learn more about it, um, I think mm-hmm. is really attractive in this uh, in in this version and just reinforce that that's ultimately what this story is about. You know, my, my headcanon was more of a perception headcanon this time of what that underlying story is. So that was my Charlie and the Chocolate Factory headcanon. I love that. I love the way that even just as simply just flipping the titles, yes. Uh, but also all of those other pieces of greed. Oh, it just... I'm I again Grayson you, you've been you have been just making some fact canons these last couple of episodes so <laughs> Tim Burton's like yeah that's what I uh, was that not obvious should I have made that a little <laughs> sorry Tim oh amazing I love it now we're gonna go to the part of the show where we like to talk to you about recasts and remakes recast remake if this movie were to be made today who would you cast what would the storyline be Grayson Mm-hmm. I think this might be a, a flashback flicks uh, a first. Oh, I wrote a script. Damn, uh, I wrote a script for uh, for what I will pitch as my modern day retelling of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. All right, it might have a different little name to it, but let's let's go. <clears throat> All right, so first you need to know you need a children's choir singing creep. All right. <laughs> I need to do something substantial to get the attention of all the stores. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun and, and lead to a, a better life. But I'm a creep. People want to go to the store and get something sweet. So why not build a factory that offers that? Chocolate, runts, nerds. I'm talking about the entire flavor experience and putting it into a candy bar. You sold 2,200 bars within two hours? <laughs> Thousand. 22 thousand the idea is potentially worth millions of dollars oh millions we stole our factory hey they're saying we stole the factory i know what it says well did we she's ready a gobstopper isn't cool okay you know what is cool everlasting gobstoppers we will sue him in federal court if you guys were the inventors of the wonka bar you would have invented the wonka bar Text on screen as music swells. You don't get to over 500 million candies. This is our time. Text on screen without losing a few teeth. (laughs) 
You've been accused of intentionally breaching security, violating airspace in an unidentified vehicle. Your own father is suing you for $600 million. <laughs> but I don't belong here. The Wonka Factory. Uh, as for the candy, I believe I deserve some recognition for this board. I'm sorry? Yes. I don't understand. Which part? I don't belong here. So that's it. That's uh <laughs> Wow. <laughs> that's the episode. What what more shall we do here? Yeah. So <laughs> well done. Yeah. I want Sorkin Dark, to reboot to take Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, because I'm telling you, as soon, like I was like, he's giving us really uh, Steve Jobs, like young Zuckerberg, like rags to riches kind of, um, you know, underdog story telling like his, with all the flashbacks. Mm. I'm like, let's lean 100 percent into the flashbacks and let's see Wonka's rise to fame and ultimate fall due to betrayal from people within his own company. I could not basically pitch this as a social network trailer no i i absolutely love that and i now i can't get out of my head of just wanting (laughs) wanting to have the sorconian dialogue to charlie and the chocolate factory i mean just them (laughs) doing a walk and talk through the halls of being like it takes 400 coca beans to make one pound of chocolate 400 you look that up no i know off the top of my head did you sleep no i've had too much chocolate and just (laughs) yes Going back and forth. Oh. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Oh, now it's just in my head. Yep. 70% of cocoa comes from West Africa. Have you ever been? West Africa? No, I've been to East Africa. <laughs> really? East Africa? No, I haven't been to cocoa Africa. Beans. What are we talking about? Yes. Clearly, Bra- Bradley Whitford Absolutely. is somehow involved yeah. in the project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, it's uh, it's stuck in my head, Ricky. I can't get it out. I'm not gonna be able to sleep now because I got Aaron Sorkin's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in my oh, head. Oh man. Oh, it's too it's too Thank good. You. It's too pure. Thank that is you. some pure chocolate. Is what that is. And that's all I have. Enjoy the rest oh. of the podcast. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna read my dumb old notes about recast no, and Grayson. remake, and then. <laughs> Let's see. What do we got here? No, okay, so, yeah. Quick recast, because I was excited about it until I, until I realized there's a movie out there that I don't get to see now. Is uh, for Charlie, I had Roman Griffin Davis, oh, who's yeah. the the lead in Jojo Rabbit. Really great, uh, comedic yet also dramatic uh, young actor. Uh, for Willy Wonka, this is the one I was really excited about. Andrew Scott. Yes, uh, so yes, So yes. that's Moriarty from oh, Sherlock yeah. series. So it's, <laughs> it's the hot priest from Fleabag. Yeah, I think he's he's got it. And then yes. uh, Christopher Lloyd is Grandpa Joe. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I used to work here. Oh, that's great. My word, has it really been that long? Yeah. And then uh, for yeah. the Oompa Loompa, it's just all Taika mm-hmm. Waititi. Mm-hmm. Taika Waititi for days. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, that's all I had there. But for the remake, I'd like to see a distant sequel. This is the dark, gritty reboot, but it's the four, um, actually not a reboot, just a continuation 
of this iteration of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where the, the four rejected candidates team oh. up to take back what they felt was rightfully theirs. And they Ocean's Eleven the Chocolate Factory <laughs> to take it from Charlie. Like, it's after Wonka has died. And so they're like, now it's no longer under his protection. Charlie was never equipped to run this. Wow. We're taking it back from Charles Bucket. And uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, kind of give it that's, the Cobra Kai is, but... treatment of like, oh no, they weren't the villains. It was all Ralph Macchio. <laughs> like, Charlie's the bully here. That's yeah. <laughs> child endangerment. Oh, I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah, but you just you would just have like Augustus is super ripped now, and Veruca yep. is like a mogul and has tons of money. They, they would all have yep. their Mike TV is like their guy in the chair. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and then Violet is um, I don't know. I like the idea that they're still like she's still blue, right? They never got the diet, so I I do wonder like if you continued on this story, she gonna be blue the rest of her life? Like they would have. They would have the motive yep. to try to pull this off. So, oh, you ruined my life, Wonka. Yeah. Now I'm going to burn Oh, I would love to, to watch that movie. That's great. Oh. That's good. Yeah. But um, did you know farmers are now earning between 20% and 50% more from no their crops way. from chocolate? This is the kind of research <laughs> I looked up just to do that kind of Sorconian. <laughs> got to be backed by facts yeah uh well now i'm just reading about <laughs> chocolate to no one um yeah oh elliot all right now we're going to go to our final segment where we like to give you reasons to recommend so grayson why would you recommend charlie and the chocolate factory I recommend Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because it's a, a really interesting case study in adapting something, not just from the source material, but breaking away from something that is so well known already. Uh, that's incredibly difficult to do. And I think Tim Burton pulled it off uh, incredibly well, like better than I initially gave it credit for when it first came out because I made the mistake of being like, it wasn't this other thing I love. Now we live in a world where it's like, oh, I get to enjoy Spider-Man three separate times or, oh, there's two, there's two concurrent Batman happening. And so yeah. I think we're better attuned now to recognize like, oh, you're just telling a story a different way. Great. More of the thing I already like. So I, I am able to appreciate it in a much different way. And, and hopefully, you know, if you're going to rewatch it for this podcast and and we've sparked something where you're like, oh, I should give it another rewatch. Hopefully you're able to, to look at it through that lens. But the the acting, Freddie Highmore is incredible. Like, I'm so glad that it, this wasn't a case of, oh, what's he doing now? Like, he is... <laughs> He's out there making stuff, getting awards and, and all that. And I really enjoy him in this. And um, I wish him the best on the rest of his career because he's just so incredibly talented. Um, it's another Johnny Depp character piece. Like if you're solidly in that camp of like that family of characters, like this is this has to be in there. Um, but I to me, it's how they treat the family in this that I think is so attractive, aside from the incredible production design. But um oddly enough we spend less time with the family but we get more from the family uh and they really economize those scenes to to hit 
all the heartstrings in the right places. And and Charlie, I think, sums it up. I mean, the very last line of the movie is so is so tender when it says life had never been sweeter from the voiceover and then it kind of wrap it up like a fairy tale and you're like oh yeah it's nice um and you get a similar thing from the gene wilder one was like the what happened to the guy who got everything he wanted he was happy forever i forget the exact quote i should have looked that up um <laughs> too busy researching chocolate um but the that feeling of yeah. um of the fairy tale the modern fairy tale i think is still there um and and that's fun to explore in a modern setting um but to me it it all comes down to the depiction of charlie um that he is someone who is so content so connected to those around him um that he's just he's an observer in life and he, he wants to see how he can help right and and that's why i say he's not trying to change anything he but he is trying to better the world which may sound like it's in direct conflict with it but it's not it's not that feeling of right. like this is wrong i got to change it it's this is how the world is this is what i can bring to it and the world will be mm-hmm. changed because i showed up um and that's uh, a beautiful beautiful lesson beautiful sentiment and you know when you're looking at you know your haters of this movie were like why did it have to be made uh you know we have this original thing i get a lot with reboots where they're like okay but there are other stories to tell out there but you know what? It's it's fun. It's it's a, just a different interpretation, especially when you have such a visionary director as Tim Burton leading this. So um, I think when you're summarizing like why you should see this movie, um, I pull from Charlie's quote where he says, "Candy doesn't have to have a point. That's why it's candy. It's there to be sweet." It's there to uh, delight. And that's exactly what this movie does. It's a sweet, delightful film that mm. in it of itself wow. is candy. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's it's perfect, Jason. I have nothing to, nothing to, to say. Uh, yeah, I, I love this movie. It, it brought up more enjoyment than I was expecting it. And uh, I think that's just a testament to um, Tim Burton. I think Tim Burton is one of those directors who has such a clear vision. People kind of give him the same kind of flack that any popular actor gets. I, I know Steve Carell uh, around the office era, people were like, oh, Steve Carell so great. And then at the same time, like, oh, Steve Carell so one note. He just does that thing that he's good at doing, which is being an actor. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's like pick a, and so, uh, pick a lane society it can't rap. be both um and and then i think this movie is a testament to that that uh burton's vision and aesthetic serves stories well when um you are trying to tell this type of story uh and it's not without its merits it has a lot of charm a lot of humor uh and uh a lot of warmth surprisingly and uh, I just recommend it for that. And it's uh, it's just ripe for a, a, a basically a, a Wonka biopic of his rise to fame. So that's that's one of the main reasons why I recommend this movie. <laughs> yeah, and you know it have an audience because 40 million to 50 million people depend on Coco for their livelihood. Yeah. And this office <laughs> is just one of them. Yes. And 
<laughs> that number seems high. You seem high. <laughs> Did you know? I mean, now I'm just, I really... So, yeah. Montezuma, mm-hmm. the Aztec emperor, heard of him. Uh, yeah, he would drink 50 cups of uh, of like melted chocolate from a golden chalice uh, every single day. Every day? 50 cups. Were they were they small cups? Yeah. That's I, I don't I mean I don't think you make yeah. chalices super yeah, you want, tiny. You want to be able chalices to identify which one it is. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, not the one in the back. The big one. <laughs> And that is our review of the 2005 movie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Let us know what you remember about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory on our social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Flashback Flicks. And it would mean so much to us. It would be like a golden ticket if you could leave us a rating and review on your podcasting platform of choice. Mm. Did you know we're on Spotify? We, We sometimes forget it, but we're there. So if you're listening to us on Spotify, yeah. thank you. Leave us a rating that was review. News to me. Uh, on a scale of one to five, I- I'm gonna say everlasting gobstoppers. Maybe I said that last time. In the case I did, uh, on a scale of one to five, invisible elevators that go s- sideways as well. Oh, that's great. And um, I mean, I feel like we're just getting rolling here. We are like. Uh, the cacao tree in it of itself because you know they live for 200 years and we but most marketable beans are are really only viable within the first 25 years i mean think about that <laughs> talk about peak it too early you, you, you max out your potential one eighth into your life cycle oh by the way all of um all of these facts are from the national confectioners association website so if we did a aaron sorkian type fact yep. it was from that website so that's uh, CandyUSA.com, not mm-hmm. a sponsor, please but send us you. chocolate, please. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. With Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings finally making its way to theaters, we are taking a look at the classic martial arts film, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's a kick!